Hello and welcome back. It's episode 125 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, I'm joined by Darren Lee. Darren is an operations manager in wealth and trading at Revolut Bank and the host of the Kickoff Sessions podcast. A number of you from Instagram will already have heard me on Darren's podcast, but this episode was actually recorded before that when I reached out to Darren on LinkedIn to have a conversation on my podcast. Darren's somebody that has made some significant career changes within the last number of years to really find purpose and fulfillment within his career. Like many of us, and I think this is quite a common tale, and in his initial role after university, he, he couldn't quite feel the stimulus and the, the passion that he thought he was meant to. And this led to him making some changes, but also starting the Kickoff Sessions podcast, which is now the largest careers podcast in Ireland. An incredible achievement, so kudos to Darren for that. Darren's show explores advice for young professionals and those who are looking to gain more from their career. There's loads within this conversation, including fulfillment, mindset, self-development sources, and career mentoring. And... I was really excited to to speak to somebody that's so like-minded and doing so many of the same things as me. Given Darren juggles his full-time career in creating content, as well as a passion for bodybuilding, there's a lot of overlap and we discuss things like time management and mental bandwidth, which are both topics that I'm regularly asked about on Instagram. So it'd be great to bring somebody else's perspective to that as well. Lastly, Darren shares his experiences with hair loss and the actions that he's taken to reverse this. This includes things that you can do, but also things that you can maybe stop doing if you are worried about hair loss. Today's podcast is supported and sponsored by the Physio Clinic Glasgow. The Physio Clinic Glasgow was established by Aaron and Rob, who have previously appeared on the podcast on episode 72 to do some misbusting in the physio space and share some practical approaches to managing and preventing injuries. Aaron and Rob really wanted to create a service that brought a proactive approach to physio while using, of course, the, the evidence, the science and the data and help you deal with injuries and pain. They, they provide a bespoke assessment and treatment process, which allows you to address the issues that you have while continuing to be physically active. There's no such thing as just rest up and wait and see how it is. They ensure that their clients keep doing what they love, whether that's lifting, running, playing sport, whatever you really care about. The guys at Physio Clinic Glasgow are passionate about making sure that continues to happen for you. They're based in Glasgow out of a fully stocked rehab facility, but for listeners that are based away from Glasgow, you can access their services with a consultancy video call and you can get all the details for that on their website, which is www.thephysioclinicglasgow.com and that'll be linked in the show notes. You can also check out their Instagram for informative and practical content. I have uh, enjoyed some of their content on uh, on calf training, which Aaron, uh, who uh, I've trained with a number of times, will find quite funny given my calf training previously was absolutely terrible, but the guys are very tuned to some of the injuries that you can pick up while weightlifting, having both been into the gym themselves. Without any further rambling from me, let's get into this episode right now with Darren Lee. Welcome back to Canberra Conversations. Today's conversation, I'm delighted to be joined by the host of Kickoff Sessions podcast, Darren Lee. Darren, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and we've been having such a fun preamble before this. I always think there's an element of if we recorded the preamble to podcast, would people enjoy it? <laughs> Almost as much, if not more, than what yeah. we do when we, when we hit record. But I think having consumed a lot of your content since I became aware of you and seeing the stuff that you're doing, 
the person that you are when we're preambling and getting ready to hit record is the same person that happens when you hit them hit, hit record. And I think that's so mm. important in terms of longevity in this podcasting game that we've we've both dived into in recent years. Man, one hundred percent. If you're going to be around for like the long run in podcasting, you can't just like make it up as you go along. So it's similar with you, where you're like niche or whatever. I often find that people who start it, you know, they kick off with a good idea, and then after a while, then they just kind of dwindle. And that's the difference between like videos and videos on YouTube and just like posts on Instagram or like ass nabs. Like, as in, if you're going to go into audio, it's a, it's a, you, it's really personal number one, and then you're obviously going to get you know, to really understand someone. So I think there's no like hiding essentially and you can't exactly mask an opinion which you could do somewhere else. That hiding place is a key thing. And again, we'll, we'll lift the curtain on what we do behind the scenes for podcasting. But when it comes to like finding guests, sometimes you have to be really particular about, yes, they might have a massive Instagram following and they seem knowledgeable on one particular topic, but can they speak to it for four to five minutes an hour, can they hold it together? Or is the polished veneer that we see on socials or TikTok with these short, um, like really hard hitting short clips, is that something that can be carried over into an hour long conversation that stands under scrutiny and can deliver value to the conversation mm -hmm. but also the audience that listen to it? And man, like that just shows as well, like how everything has changed recently in terms of like attention, like how we consume shit as in like, like I'm all for like, you know, giving people better distribution of their podcasts, whatever. That's completely fair if you're using shorts, if you're using reels or, or TikTok, whatever. But the concept of our like focus changing towards like these tiny, small videos because we're not actually able to consume longer stuff is worrying. You know, so when you're speaking about like bringing on guests and it's been some really good people that are do that are providing educational stuff that are around on TikTok, whatever. But that's the fear though, isn't it? Is that they're just short form people are picking them up online they're just posting these things and they don't actually know they know them in depth and that's the fear so that's heavily, why when you get into the podcast space it's a bit longer heavily and perfectly edited on those platforms too darren so if you look at what maybe it takes somebody to produce a tiktok you and i don't probably touch our podcast almost at all I, I, the only time i've really touched a podcast is when there's been like a dropout on the zoom link or something like that and yeah. i need to take it out nothing ever really comes out because unless the guest says something that they message me or email me a couple of days later saying, Colin, actually, I said this and I'd rather that than go in. That's happened like once out of 120, 125 episodes. Yeah, usually for me, it's like someone who's like sold a fucking company and they're like, yeah, I can't say that I sold it like today. It has to be like, wait, like a month or a month or two after. But that's kind of the thing. And I suppose I better give a bit of context as well around that. Like, so my podcast, which is kickoff sessions. It's funny that you, you mentioned that you've seen a lot of the earlier episodes because I was the same with you. Like I saw yours from YouTube, oddly enough, again um which i saw your earlier episodes but we kind of a good overlap because like because my podcast is always focused on careers young professionals which kind of sounds a bit like i don't know a bit kind of stuck up but basically what it is is young people in either their corporate careers or in side businesses and stuff doing things but it's funny because like the guests you get or the guests you're trying to find are usually the people you're trying to get to which is what i kind of found so like you know 85 episodes where the fuck is into this stage i often found that when i was trying to get people it was people from my audience thinking of that persona, but then it's often kind of where you want to go to in life, whether it's if you're starting your own thing or if you're trying to do just a good deed in your own career, whatever, uh, which is interesting because like I felt anyway that when I started that there was kind of fuck all going on in this kind of scene. You know, there was nobody that was there was that was my age. There was the likes of your Stephen Bartlett, your Chris Williamson, who were in another kind of niche, but there was no like younger kind of guy that was kind of dis displaying this information. Um, so it was interesting and I felt that like I was going through a lot of changes in my own career. I was going through a lot of stuff that I particularly hated and that were, that were very like difficult for me. 
And then it was good to be able to try do that, similar to what you're doing now at this stage as well, but for people that are that are kind of our age as well. I think that's really well explained in terms of the premise of the podcast. And I love when I find somebody that is at a particular stage of their journey and helping the people that are, and I don't like to say just one step ahead, but I like I think like you need to be like two, three, four steps ahead of somebody on the on the journey that you're going on. And we actually had a really interesting conversation, like one of my roundtable episodes was about is having a mentor over or underrated. And we said it was typically it's underrated, but some of the paid mentorships that you can go for that are like courses and stuff like that can be overrated. But importantly, finding a mentor that is able to help you get to where you want to go, but not only just like one step ahead. I think sometimes that can be too close to the wire. But I love what you say. You probably speak to an audience who are exploring the early days of their corporate career or exploring the early days of building up fulfillment and passion within whatever they're choosing to turn their attention to and being in your mid-20s enables you to do that because you've been doing it for a period of time yourself and you can then verbalize and share that while getting guests who are maybe that kind of frightening level ahead of us yeah. to to distill it down and share their lessons as well so i think it's a it's a, it's a great combination and certainly something i try to try to deliver too and man it's crazy because like as you said there the issue that i had previously so let's go back to the basics so the reason why i kind of started my podcast and the reason why i got into this idea of like creating careers content was because i went through a period whereby i was really unhappy with what i was doing really unfulfilled so you know i did a good career like again i'm not like um i'm not saying that like all oh, my life was like terrible but i did you know i had a good career whatever i had a good um education and then i went into a large company that i really really hated you know i felt like that there was no progression i felt like that i couldn't have any you know individual character i couldn't really differentiate myself and i always felt that i was kind of like it was like the same and that's when you really lack that you know fulfillment and passion and purpose in what i was doing and then i remember i was always thinking of ways out of it and because like these kind of careers can be quite long they're like two three years at a minimum and at that point then i was always thinking like what's the way out? what's the way out? and if i went to like a conference or if i went to, if i saw something online it would be very kind of pie in the sky like holistically looking at oh this is what you should be doing this is what you should be doing but it's like yeah but i can't really implement that so that's why it was kind of that kind of disconnect and then during covid then so covid deck hit so what is that like two years ago at this stage now and that's when it really exasperated for me and i think i remember i was just like very depressed in my existing role really unfulfilled i knew that i was so far from what i wanted to do and it's weird, man, because it's a weird concept because we come out of college whereby we know we have semesters, we know we have exams, we know we'll take the piss during the summer, we know we'll end up in Ibiza. But then when you go into the, the corporate world, it's like, fuck, like there's there's no disconnect here. You know, it's just continuous and this can go on forever. So that was my biggest fear was actually, it actually first started when I first started working in London. I remember I walked into an office at like eight o'clock in the morning, everyone with their, had their heads down on, at, the, at the desk. Then at like 6, 7 p.m., in the evening everyone had their heads down no one was moving and i remember thinking to myself i was like is this it and that was the worry and i think even then when covid got and got a bit worse for me the biggest turning point was um i remember reading uh, victor frankl's man's search for meaning and that's when i remember just thinking to myself like as in that there's like misery no matter what you're doing but it's about trying to find it and often if you don't make the changes you're not going to get there so that's when I tried to went through a lot of existential crisis. I wasn't even going to do a master's. I was going to go back to college. I was going to do all this other stuff. Um, I turned down a master's. I got a scholarship for a master's that I turned down. Uh, and then I was just very, very fortunate to be reached out to Revolut. Obviously, it's like a, it's like a bank in, in the UK and uh, make that move into something that I was really, really interested in. But from, me, from that point then, it's just been about recording this stuff, speaking with guests, 
seeing how they fulfilled it. And I guarantee you the people that have sold companies or the people that are, you know, really high up in companies, they could be just as unfulfilled if they're doing things that are absolutely, you know, pointless. Um, and yeah, man, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing cycle. Yeah, there's there's so many questions popping off in my head, and we definitely need to go back to uh, to man search. Of course, my favorite books as well. But one of my questions would be to really dive into like why you were unhappy in your corporate role. So you you got a really good degree, I think double first class or something like that. You're a clever boy, I can tell that. But <laughs> when, when it comes to when you get that first job after university, um, what was it attracting you to that role that made you get it, or was it just a necessity of I need to tick a box and get a particular prestigious grad scheme? really good question like i do a lot of kind of speeches on this as well like if we're ever speaking with any universities and the biggest thing is being is jumping into something before make really sussing it out and just going heads into something and this is what really happened was like you know coming out of university the pressure is, is around you i know a lot of my friends are really really smart guys they're getting really good jobs and i felt that the job that i was presented with i just kind of took it without even thinking and without even realizing it and then that was fine i remember like taking a few months off in the summer like fucked there in asia for a bit uh, did the usual bits, came back. And then when I landed into my job, then it was like, I'm part of 175 people. There's no way to differentiate myself. No matter how much input I do, I can't change the output. And I'll, you know, the salary will move at a certain scale. The job will move at a certain scale. And there's nothing that I can do to, to dictate that. So, and this is a very nihilistic view. Basically, the premise of this as well is the fact that because I can't determine the output, therefore, why should I change my input? And that's a terrible way to view the world. And up until that point, you know, I was obviously working hard in university. Um, I did a comp uh, well, I started bodybuilding, started competing in bodybuilding, and I was able to control those things. But it felt that when I got into these companies that often my fate was not determined within my hands. And that's what became very, very difficult for me it's because... Learned helplessness, like almost like you're, you're in a hopeless situation. You're like, no matter how... If I turn up at eight and apply myself three till seven, it's not going to move the dial in the direction I want it. Whereas I've got this element of, and I like the C word, I like control. I've got mm -hmm. control over my bodybuilding results. So I'm finding purpose in that. And that's where you see a lot of people. And I've had a number of guests on the podcast speak about this, leaving the corporate world for the fitness world, because it has parallels where they're like, well, actually, this is one area of my life where, wow, I have a real impact on what I do so it's very interesting that you raised that straight away to say like I had this one out of my life where I had like I could see the tangible returns from my daily actions and they were compounding whereas in my working role unfortunately the career that you went into it wasn't providing you with that feedback look of, of little wins or even working towards a bigger one exactly man and, and again like at the end of the day it was so good job good pay there's nothing wrong with that it's just the fact that if you want to go really kind of fast and I will be just like generally want to to achieve things if you're being blocked at an upper ceiling it's very difficult so this is what i kind of always advise for people is that you need to like take some time to figure out what you're good at really what you're good at because like we know what we think we're good at but then we may not be actually that interested in it or for instance then we could be following something we're actually bullshit really bad at you know so then it's about kind of figuring out that and then finding out you know shortlisting the company shortlisting the industry and moving across because i knew i wanted to work in startups i knew i wanted to work in fintech and then for me like the north star actually was revolute um and then i was trying to just find my way and kind of find my way and that's funny because even in my current role at the moment like there's just so much opportunity if you would want to apply yourself you know and positively and negatively you know if you, if you didn't do a good job you know and that's kind of the way i kind of want it it's kind of being very close to the fire and what, and what i always say it's like 
it's like nearly being as close to having your own startup without having any of the financial risk to, to carry. And it's a good kind of stepping stone in, in that area. But I've just seen even working with, like I said, so outside of podcasting as well, I'd work with a lot of young people uh, and try again to find this kind of meaning and purpose and what they want to do in their career. And for me, it's, it usually goes back to just not understanding of what they really, really, really want. And looking around and getting the wrong influence and you said mentor and mentors is a great idea to, to get into as well is because a lot of people look to their friends for in for you know inspiration or for ideas of what they should do which is usually not a great idea especially when you're younger and you're coming through and you're defining your friend group and you're seeing like you know everyone kind of develops differently um but then you need to kind of find that selection of mentors that you want to bounce ideas off i think that was good for me as well and, and why podcasting is really good because you ended up just getting really close to these people and they're telling you you know you should do this you should do that and then you know the kind of naval approach is you take in as much information as possible and then you you know you get rid of 99 percent of it and you pick out the ones that you need to go and make the decision but i found especially for me that it was very difficult to be able to understand what I wanted to do. And then what's even worse than that is not being experienced enough to change because like you're, you're in sales, sales is something that I really actually was really interested in, but I knew I wasn't able to just jump across and do it. Same with what I'm doing now is, is all product focused and all, and all building software focused. I wasn't necessarily that experienced at it, so I couldn't just go and do it. Um, and that's a tough position to be in. And that's why often as you get a little bit older, I just turned 26 recently, it's been a lot easier for me to say, I like this, I don't like this. You know, I can say F you to this idea. I can say, let's jump on this idea. Um, and yeah, just kind of follow those pursuits. But man, like in that year of 22 to 25, like it's all just up in the fucking air. Yeah, of course it is. And I think we do need guidance. And I think you articulating there around the value that a mentor can do, or even like the written exercise you're talking about where I'm interested in this sector, my skill set through my time at university or school or my time at college, whatever you got up to post-school was in this particular area. And I think a lot of us, particularly guys, shy away from that self-work in that way. Like, it seems, uh, it doesn't seem alpha male to spend time writing down your ideas and your thoughts and your feelings and where you might want to apply yourself. But that initial inertia, breaking through that and doing some of the hard work in terms of the thought process, rather than maybe falling into, and you talked about talking with your friends, like almost groupthink where, oh, Jamie and Johnny are going to be going to do this. Maybe because I've got the same degree, I should be going to do the same thing as well. Or maybe because we both were interested in the same thing at school. That's the area that I should be applying myself towards. And mm -hmm. being, I, I, I don't quite know how to put it, but like going against the herd and identifying what maybe your interests speak to and embracing your own uniqueness and your own individuality is very, very powerful. And it needs sources like your podcast and like, the, the kind of abilities that you've got to explore yourself to take somebody away from the traditional lines that they maybe want to go down Darren because it's so we're real we are railroaded by all regards into certain areas man 100% and I'll give you some good examples of that so when I first started my podcast again you know I was kind of speaking with these guests who are you know quite experienced and then I would be saying like you know we're trying to figure things out I'm trying to I'm struggling with this I'm struggling with that so many people started writing to me then being like fuck i'm in a similar situation i'm doing this role i'm not that interested in i'm halfway through a master's i'm fifteen thousand euro into a master's what the fuck do i do now you know and these are real life problems these aren't the problems you see that are on the websites and you know that websites of the universities trying to get your money whatever these are this is what happens beneath the surface so i began to see such a blend of this happening and it was mostly male oriented a lot of guys saying that 
you know, they're falling back in the tradition and they're up in these companies and now they're trying to figure these things out. First, huge thing. And then the second thing, then you said around, you know, you end up following other people. Uh, I don't know what it's like in Scotland, but in Ireland, people just all do the same shit. They all go to Dublin because it's where the jobs are, but really it's where the, the, the tradition is. Then they might spend, you know, a year or two in like London and then they'll just come back to their hometown and get like a tech role or, or whatever. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm trying to say is that that proves that we are literally following this traditional path. That is like what the, the path is. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. You'll have a very profitable uh, career. You'll probably, you know, have a good home, have a good lifestyle. But if you are in the pursuit of actual like happiness and, and fulfillment, I nearly confident to tell you that that cannot all lead to the same amount of fulfillment and happiness and purpose for everyone it just can't you may all end up have the same jobs you may all end up getting similar enough money we're all within the same fucking medium band at the end of the day anyway and we're also taxed as shit anyway but in terms of like actual engagement and actual fulfillment it's completely completely um individual based and i see and i see that in a startup world you know and even in uh people who start a podcast and people who are doing different different areas is that you know, you may think that like, oh, this is a great idea. Go, go to that good salary, good role. But it just lands so differently for others, you know, and that's kind of the fear. But again, I think uh, t- times are changing slightly. And a, a good example of that is before, especially my brother, who's 30, he's going on 32 now, I think, you know, his kind of approach to career was like, you know, get a good job. He was in a really good consulting firm, you know, he's doing great in his career, but they spent quite long at the, at the, at the companies, like maybe four or five years. Whereas for us, even if you are in larger firms, the two years are cap. I remember when I walked into my last firm and the first day, I remember one guy asking me, who I ended up being really good friends with, he was like, where are you thinking of going next? I remember being like, I, remember, I was like, today's my first day. And he was like, yeah, where are you thinking of going next? Uh, so the, the dialogue is changing and companies don't give a fuck about you spending five years at a company anymore. You know, they're happy to see you be at a company for a year or maybe like a year and a half and then yeah. get up and go. Like who the, who the fuck cares in the day, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think when you see somebody with a really checkered CV and it's not uh, moves that are up their way or like into different industries, then sometimes people do ask questions. But like you say, if you're moving from firm to firm, the roles and the job titles are improving or you're taking on more responsibility or you're growing, then I think that's a really positive thing to do. Or you have an explanation for what happened and you're like, well, actually, I was in this particular role. And if you can verbalize it to an interviewer or whoever you're you're speaking to, you can illustrate that, well, I wasn't, I wasn't happy filling that, but I managed to move into this sector and I did that. And one of the mm-hmm. most interesting reasons that I was so keen for us to have a conversation, Darren, was that the traditional story is that you maybe weren't enjoying that career post-university and you decided to go all in on like a side hustle or all in on being an entrepreneur, but you still moved within the corporate world. Why do you think that was? And why do you think there's still maybe promise that people don't necessarily have to always go and work for themselves? It's a great point. I think for me, I just have always loved software. So like my background was in like information systems, um, working in a tech company in a startup. I love the idea of building products. And traditionally, like, you know, if you're going to go off and build your own uh, startup, it's very expensive. It's very costly. You either bootstrap it and you eat beans and rice for five years or you raise money and you become a slave to a VC for five or 10 years. So for me, it was always the fact that I could get in somewhere and try learn as much as possible and ultimately maybe go do this myself, which I'd love to do. Um, but I think that was why I wanted to get into where I'm at the moment, but why I want to kind of stay there at the moment is because obviously it's nearly as profitable or if not more, like usually for a lot of kind of early founders, like they're, you know, they're getting rinsed. They're usually either making no money or they're getting a small salary. Whereas you could 
pretty much depending on the company and, and the industry learn as much within a role for a while up until a certain point and then potentially go and make those decisions of so it's not like it's not based on necessity you're basically doing it out of voluntary so you're making a more of a proactive approach to it and it's been nice because i wanted to kind of stay within that and i you know again i love the company that i'm with and it's really like interesting because it's it's a very interesting space now again that's not to say that i wouldn't like to do something myself because on the side i've still you know have my podcast have a small consulting firm do a lot of mentoring and that for me is that creative freedom that's the you know the the, the no no kind of rules game you can just kind of get up and kind of do whatever you want if i want to bring on more clients i can kind of push a little bit harder on it um and then ultimately if you do want to go and convert that fully you can pretty much put the foot down and say you can you can do some basic economics from it then just saying that you know at two clients i'm making x if i did four clients and i applied 50 hours a week i could be making this and that's when it becomes a bit more viable um but it's interesting man because it depends on flexibility as well like i think i'm in a very lucky position where i'm at because you know i'm fully remote uh, I'm always working at home. Uh, I'm currently doing a move pretty soon as well. And as a result as well, I'll also be fully remote. Um, so it depends, obviously, context given. But I feel like if you are with some huge companies or some old companies, and if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, an office all the time, you may not have that creative freedom to be working on a podcast or working on side businesses and putting a bit of time into it, you know? Yeah, exactly that. And I asked this question probably for myself as much as uh, anyone listening. And I'm keen to explore this because of the number of similarities that we share in the activities we get up to mm. do you think you could find fulfillment in a traditional career by itself without any of your side hustles i think i always go back to saying that i feel like i should push harder all the time not to say that i'm i'm better or not to say that i'm smart enough but i feel like that i have enough like energy in me to always try new stuff so for me when i'm doing only one thing is when i get the most unhappiness if i'm just working on one single thing going to job which was my last job going to work coming home getting home late smashing some fucking chicken and that's pretty much it that's when i was most unhappy and that's when i was kind of and that doesn't mean you need to go start other stuff on the side but for me i was you know i still obviously am like really into fitness but i remember i just kind of went off the rails a small bit like i remember i just got so like you know unhappy with my routine that i moved from bodybuilding into marathon running because i just needed the second thing there just needs to be that second thing so i think to answer your question you could do your traditional career work up get senior manager get director and have other things that are you know it could be fitness related it could be cycling could be fuck could be your kid trust me you know when you get to the mid 30s that could be that could be your side hustle is taking care of a fucking baby but for me while i have the the opportunity to push it a little bit harder i kind of like that element of it um and it's cool because like i think the worst thing i always say is that I, i'd hate to look back on something and say i wish i did it and fitness is a perfect example i remember going through college and i remember I was so interested in like every macro every calorie i love i love counting and i love going through everything i love training i remember saying to myself i would hate to look back on my 20s and say i didn't try compete and I went to do it and it wasn't for me and moved on afterwards. Happy days. But it's taking that example and then using it other aspects of life. For example, as a podcast. Recently, I've been looking at an e-commerce store actually um, with my girlfriend. She's very creative as well. So we're looking at things like this. And I was like, oh, like I'd, be, I'd prefer to do it and then just go really, it go, you know, tits up and we just go back to base camp and try something new versus uh, sitting on the sidelines and just being a entrepreneur, you know? That's a very, very good mindset. And I, I really resonate with what you're saying about energy. And I would maybe use the term bandwidth. So you have an amount of bandwidth that's available to apply to different areas. 
And if it was all in on that job in London where you're in the office for 11, 12 hours a day, there's no quality of life alongside that. So the ability to feel purpose, even if certain things in, within that working career were going really well, is probably limited because it's just in one area of stimuli. Yeah. Whereas you seem to respond well to having different challenges and different inputs. And I think most people do. Like you say, maybe it could be your career and then your side thing could be family, it could be fitness, it could be whatever else. It doesn't necessarily need to be a, a monetized side passion either. It just needs to be an area of focus that you apply yourself in that gives you um, like a level of positive feedback in the back of your head, which is ultimately what we're all chasing is that we all just want some level of happiness and, and purpose and something to work towards. And you get that when you're working towards something. You don't get that when you're just laying idle and coming, you know, getting up and just getting on a train and coming back afterwards. And I think what you're refer- referencing really well to is that element of order and chaos. So like when you're starting something new and, you know, when you move role or particular, like it's chaotic as fuck. And that's what life is, is what entrepreneurship is. It's what startups are. It's very chaotic. And then as you get better, you find the order in it and you're able to find that alignment. And for me, like that's just everything. And even I'll give you even like a basic example. Uh, starting like an IB to go up pretty soon, fat as fuck at the moment. I'm going to get dial in uh, coming next week. And I was kind of getting even a little bit stressed being like, oh, I need to sit there now, you know, work out a, like a meal plan. I need to work out like a training plan. I need to plan out the weeks. You know, I have like 10 weeks roughly. And I was like, okay. And it's very like, <clears throat> it's very like chaotic in my brain right now. And I'm kind of putting a bit of a stress onto it. But I know when I get into the groove, I'm going to fucking love it. And it's, it goes the same every year. It's been the same for the last like, five years. Same process over and over again. And then even like my girlfriend was like, but why do you actually do it though? Why don't you just like stay at like a decent level all year? And then I was like, because I, I did that last year. I just stayed at like a happy medium level all year. And I got so bored doing it. I remember I used to get down pretty lean. And then I used to get a bit bored and just eat a couple of cinnamon rolls. And then I'd do this process again. And it was a shit. Whereas this year, did 16 weeks of a heavy ass bulk. And I'm going to do about 10 weeks of a fucking tough cut for the sake of it. Just because I like kind of the pursuit of doing something. Uh, and ultimately it's obviously better for your physique as well as other aspects of that but um yeah it's finding that order and chaos and no matter what you're doing to be honest that's really interesting and obviously the order and chaos is ideas drawn from jordan peterson who's had a heavy influence in a positive way on me as well but it's interesting the way that you have done that self-work within your head to identify that i respond better to pushing myself with this particular um element of my lifestyle so i'm gonna do this focus bulk whereas just coasting along the maintenance didn't set off the the things inside your head that made you feel good when did you start to realize that have you always known that or when how have you managed to come to those conclusions i think it was kind of when i was making my transition even into podcasting because it's like you know you're adding something new into your life can you can you handle it and actually i recorded a really good podcast with a guy called nick harlambus came out yesterday you'd actually really really um we really like him super interesting guy and he was saying you know you kind of do like a time audit to see can you do something extra because often we'll find that we can do a lot more if we, if we were to push ourselves, especially under stressful scenarios. If we, had, if we had to do something that's very intense, we do have more time available. Uh, and this isn't like, you know, fucking we all have 24 hours on the same day, but it's to say, it's to say that like, you can go, you can pretty much retrospectively go back and say, can you push it a little bit harder? Can you do a bit more? You know? So then when I started like adding in a bit more stuff, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is feasible, you know? You know, I can work nine to six or nine to seven or eight to six or whatever, take a time off, go to the gym, come back, record an hour a bit, do a bit, a bit, do a bit of editing, uh, get get the pillars in place, play a sense, maybe I can outsource stuff. And I do, I do a lot of outsourcing now at the moment as well. Uh, and that was fun. You know what I mean? That was like a difficult thing. 
and I was trying to just that kind of element to it. And I think ultimately that's what actually lets me being happier because I'll give you a good example. So last last year I only took like a week off work or something, two weeks, two one weeks off. I remember by the Thursday I was bored. Um, I was recording podcasts during the week at that time. I said I wouldn't open up my work laptop. But come Thursday, though, I didn't really have like that, you know, kicker in me to, I wasn't necessarily like, you know, turned off completely, but I got to the stage where boy, I was looking to do something extra, you know, going to the gym in the morning, whatever, whatever. But uh, yeah, I feel that that's the kind of the best point. Now, obviously, it's within reason. You don't want to fucking burn out. You don't want to be pushing yourself too hard. And, and I definitely have done that at times. But fundamentally, it's it's obviously person driven. But I feel like for people that are maybe you and me inclined or someone that's very like wants the goal oriented, it's better to have a miniature goal that you're just tipping away at than nothing at all because you're waiting for the next biggest thing. Yeah, we share uh, an easy number of similarities when it comes to this kind of stuff <laughs> in terms of personality. Um, I wonder, have you have you done any self-work on what type of personality you have and what, what your drivers are, maybe what your values are? Uh, I haven't, but I know for a fact that it's a type A um just just a highly highly strong and that's why it's probably not even that even great to hear but it's like and it's it's not necessarily competitive and that's what I, I always like to say is that you know i'm not necessarily competitive with like someone else or let's say your podcast and saying oh fuck it like why isn't my podcast as big as yours it's never like uh someone else driven it's it's mainly myself and i always feel as well that like i would not like to be in a scenario whereby you know i'm not doing the best that i possibly can you know and that's not to say that it's even great because like my best could be a two out of 10, but at least like if you're, if you're, if you're putting that emphasis into it, um, which is, which is the issue, you know, I think that's why sometimes um, you could lead to end up being a little bit kind of out of place because maybe you weren't putting the best foot forward, but I'd like to do one of those tests though, especially I saw Jordan Peterson as one of those as well. Um, but I never get around to those things though, man. I don't know, but I don't know about you, but if yeah. I was looking at things to do in my day, like I'd be like, I don't fucking know. Should I really go and, go and do this? The only time I've really dived into those is when work have paid for different ones. So there's one called Insights, um, and they, they're 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 a global company. They're based in Scotland, but they do stuff across the across the world. And it was really interesting to see what kind of personality types I was. But it was very much like different quadrants, understanding like how how I work with me. And it was very useful for me as a business development professional when I look to try and identify what somebody else's drivers are. So you yeah. and I are both quite in that sense, it would be like quite blue and red. We quite like data, but we like getting things done and like pushing forward. Whereas you might deal with somebody who in that quadrant would be yellow green, which is more like soft and emotion and connection. And while we're both probably capable of that, unless we're going to diagnose ourselves as sociopaths, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's very important to appreciate how some people are driven more by, because we all have elements that come together, but there's more dominant character traits within that. And yeah. One of the big dangers for people like you and I who are asking people and ourselves to stretch our mental bandwidth is a term you used earlier, which is burnout. What have you learned from getting close to that before or have you experienced it? Oh, it's such a great question. Um, I honestly think, even in the line of like the kind of startups that I'm in, is that sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. Sometimes you can get so like exhausted that you almost push through and you just become numb to stuff. Not to say that like, oh, you can still get on your laptop and do great work. You actually can't. But I've often found that if I was to work, you know, insane amount of time sometimes that sometimes I could be on my laptop in calls, completely switched off my brain, but I'm still like working. I'm still responding to messages. Um, but for me, the biggest thing is like, 
it's oblivious. You could be completely oblivious, but the creative side of it, you know, the, th the, the things that you don't necessarily, um, that are not obvious to you, they just completely go blank, you know? So that's why sometimes when I have like time off or if I'm like even in the gym or going for a walk from driving or whatever, I think of a lot better things. I'm like, oh, I should message that guy I'll be as a guest. I should fix this problem that I have at work or whatever. But it's usually, if I'm constantly on, um, it's very difficult to switch off. And uh, the biggest thing for me, man, was sleep. Um, I don't know if you ever kind of have much people on your on your podcast around it. It's, it's funny because when I was younger, that's when you're kind of out more. You know, definitely like in college years would have been out a lot. Sleep would have been really poor. I got into maybe a habit of poor sleep. This fell into my kind of career. And then I was getting to the stage where by working so much, really, really exhausted, burning, burning a candle on both ends. Um, you're going to get to the stage where you're waking up on your laptop and then you're turning, you're going to bed on your laptop. And then what's happening there as well in the interim is like, you're getting really, really bad, poor quality sleep. It could be like even nightmares. It could be fucking anything. Um, and you're waking up and it's, just, it's slowly eroding. I mean, that's, that's the effect. Uh, and a lot of people don't necessarily like allude to it. And it's, it's very difficult as well because what I often wish I advise people is that like if you were to say to someone at work, like, oh, you're going to take a step out of work, step out because you're exhausted. People would be like, what the fuck is up with this guy? You know, um, so you need to be able to kind of manage that yourself and find different ways to do it. And for me at the beginning, especially when I started building out a podcast and started doing additional stuff, you know, you're really not necessarily on it all the time, but you're definitely thinking about it all the time, even if it's on a Saturday or on a Sunday. So I've tried to implement some sort of hard stops in the morning, you know, have perhaps with my girlfriend, take things chill, try not to talk about what I'm what I'm working on at the moment. Then on a Saturday, try to take some some time off the off the day unless I need to send stuff to um like designers and, and whatnot. And then on Sunday then I'll start tapering back up work uh Sunday evening and getting a bit more detail into it. But even that that rigidity rigidity, that that flexibility to know that okay, I'm gonna be off for a certain amount of time has helped me tremendously. Um yeah. because I think I think honestly, the fact that, as I mentioned before, the fact that you don't actually have time off your career, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily take three months off like you do in university. As I like to say, as an analogy, like when you're younger and you're working really hard on like a, if you're in a team and you're working really hard on a championship, when you get to the end, you get to the final, it's over till next season. You have Whereas, closure, and you have closure, and then exactly, and then you go again. And now it's all that's all removed. So you need to be able to do it, which is like the ultimate challenge, of course. So and and off, often, man, like it's not until it goes really badly then you can actually do it. That's where it's so so interesting because you think that oh, like you know, you'll kind of figure it out and you get worse. You really got to like hit the bottom of exhaustion, uh, stress, pressure until then you make a change. And for me, that was kind of the biggest thing, man. Uh, and kind of speaking more openly about it as well, man. I think that's a a huge thing because. If you're just thinking like everything that you're doing is, is right, well, then usually it's, it's probably wrong. Um, and that's why when you bounce ideas off people like yourself or um, or from friends and family, that's where you make the biggest changes, I think. Yeah, there's a huge amount to be gained from sharing your experience because you quite often find that people have similar experiences or little different coping mechanisms that they use as well. And to pick just one thing that you said there, which all of it was um, something that spoke to me very strongly and the sleep thing I couldn't get far enough behind. Um, but when it comes to when some of your more creative ideas are coming to you, exactly the same for me when I limit my input. And I actually spoke about this with 
uh, a gentleman called Alex Griffin, who was like the first ever Gymshark athlete. Um, that, that podcast came out um, yesterday at the time recording. It's so weird in podcast world, isn't it? This will come out weeks down the line, but you and I are talking about stuff that's just happened. Um, <laughs> I, actually, I actually saw that episode with that guy yesterday. I watched it. I, did, I didn't remember the name, but I watched actually the full thing. The guy was fucking massive. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Um, him and I met at a, a, a shoot for Slater Menswear um, about men's mental health. And so we'd had some really in-depth conversations before it. So when the time came to record, it was wide open. You could say whatever you wanted to teach other, which is very important in, that, in this space, isn't it? But I was sharing with Lex that some of my ideas come when I stop trying to be so focused on self-development because I'm constantly consuming whether it's content for my own benefit or content for the benefit of creating good shows or benefit of teaching colleagues within work, whatever it is I'm up to. When I turn off on the drive home from the gym or whether I, if I go out on a walk and don't have a podcast on, having no input is often when the ideas start to come to the surface, probably from stuff you've consumed previously, but your brain's just getting the chance to actually deal with it rather than just constantly pouring more and more into the top of the funnel in terms of, yep, here's another Modern Wisdom podcast. Here's another Diary yep. of a CEO podcast. Here's another Joe Rogan. Here's another Jordan Peterson lecture. Here's another Campbell conversation or another kickoff session. That's great. And I would encourage people to swap out some of the junk that they consume for self-development content but sometimes just being off in the drive home from the gym or on a walk it's when i'm like holy shit like i'm having some great ideas here i'm feeling really creative whereas sometimes you go days or weeks where nothing fresh is coming to you or you're operating at a lower frequency than you know you're capable of 100 man and like the biggest thing with that is often when you're so into detail you're in the trenches like you're working in the business not on the business and the work on the business you need to zoom the fuck out and go really far out take that break you know really get away try something different and that's when you're going to get your ideas that's why i don't have 3g on my phone i have not 3g on my phone for years i whenever i'm going out i'll never ever have anything if i get to the gym it's going to be off it's, i'm walking on my phone on um i'll have all my tunes that are downloaded from youtube premium uh, so I never, never, never need it. Then if I go into a restaurant, I'll have Wi-Fi. Happy days from my home, I'll have Wi-Fi. I'm not going to have it. Same when I'm going for a walk or whatever. Small things like this make such a big difference because even with me, when I'm, you know, you get very set in your ways and this is this is where it's like very dangerous, especially when things aren't going your way. So like, as I was saying in my podcast, you know, obviously it's not optimal from fucking day one, especially when you're doing it all yourself. And you get very set in your own patterns and rhythms and that's when you're working just in the business. You're so used to doing the same shit. It's like your day job, man. If you go in every day, and if you look at the same spreadsheet, you're not going to see that spreadsheet differently unless you zoom out, understand what the purpose of it is, you're doing it. That's when I started taking a step back. You know, I'd allocate time in the week to, you know, watch guys or check out guys. And a good person I'd look at would be like Lex Friedman. I'd check out a lot of his work. I'd study his work. I'd look at it very closely. And then I'd often just go away and like think about it. And I might go to the gym then or whatever. And I might just kind of think about it and be like, why is it that's working? Why is it this that's working? And kind of getting that kind of perspective. But unless you, you're able to, really really zoom back and that goes back to your career as well like with a lot of people that are you know going day to day they're in the same career they you know they, they do enjoy it to a degree but that's how you end up four or five years in a place because you don't necessarily see not necessarily the options because the options are there we all know the options are there but you haven't given the time to figure out what it is you want to do for you to be able to avail of these options uh, and that's a big thing that I'd, I'd nearly encourage in that time audit you're trying to do break up some time during the week is understand where, where does this where does this pan out and starting with the end in mind is the best way to do anything um look at your career look at your podcast if you can work backwards like look backwards to what's optimal i would say in a podcasting sense optimal is you record 
and that's it. You record and then everything else is taken care of, uploads taken care of, the distribution is taken care of, you can record more and then hopefully you're making sufficient money from it. I would say that's optimal, roughly. Then from a career sense as well, if you're gonna get into a startup space or or whatever, you need to kind of look work backwards because otherwise it's just, otherwise like you're playing kind of someone else's game and then you're also not getting the most out of it, is what I think. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And starting with the end in mind is something that's become a little bit less popular in recent years because I've been heavily influenced by Atomic Habits, James Clear, and focusing on the small actions that we do day to day. But the small actions that we do day to day still do need to aim towards some North Star. So you were talking about working at Revolut being a North Star. That working back from there, maybe, yes, there were certain steps you need to take, so, such as like building your CV to a certain level or speaking to particular managers or learning what particular roles were within that company that you could apply your relevant skill set to or what areas of your skill set need to work towards to be relevant for the role that you would most like to enjoy. But there was a lot of work there before you started doing the little things that you need to do each day to, to build towards it. And I can definitely get lost in the minutia of ticking the boxes day to day, which is, is a positive, largely process-based goals versus outcome-based. But yeah. It's funny you said that some people wake up after five years in the same job, not fulfilled, not happy, because they have just continued ticking boxes, but they've maybe been boxes that they didn't even want to tick in the first place. It could be someone else's fucking boxes as well, man. You got to think about that as well, like fulfilling someone else's dream, because like it depends what what your goal is, of course. Like, but you know, you could follow that path where you're ticking the boxes of someone else, or you're just doing the basic stuff, and it's not necessarily progressing you at the rate. That's why a mentor is important. Zooming out is important because you get that perspective. But when you were referencing as well, like the day to day, that's why it's very important to have the the mission and the vision. So, you know, your vision or sorry, your mission is your is your north star, like where you want to get to. But then you need to have the small steps to actually get there, and that's why you have the short and long term goals. That's what I always recommend to people, and no matter whoever I'm working with, any like no matter what the industry is, because uh, I work actually with a couple of people from sales, do a lot of mentoring in sales because sales is very data driven, it's very KPI driven, it's very clear always have the same thing in my mind we always start with a north star but what, what what is the next biggest thing you know it could be a promotion it could be exempt account executive i'm going to use one example and then to get there what do we need to do we have four quarters what do we have in four quarters we have three checkpoints in each quarter so therefore we have 12 12 months uh and what do we need to do and it's very numerical based and that, that's where you go into inputs get down into the basic stuff and you have to go down down and down and then what i often like to say as well is if you're doing that correctly which most people probably won't you might do 70 to 80 percent which is still fine as time goes on the the goals start getting rolled up so your monthly goal will become your quarterly goal you'll see it it's binary did you get it or did you not get it and then it's going to come around to your yearly objective which is trying to get that um that north star and if it is a promotion for example at that point then you can look back on what you've done and say okay you know i deserve it or i don't necessarily deserve it right right now or i could have worked a bit better but that's black or white and that's pretty definitive and that's a great way to be it's a great way to be to be able to have that clarity because the opposite and what a lot of big companies often do is they leave you in gray they leave you in a very gray area they come up with some like random metrics but if you are not staying accountable along the time and, and making sure you're on path and i always say this with, with people as well sorry people that i like my managers would all i'd also push them very hard and say that like okay so you know this is the quarterly goal this is the yearly goal you know am i in line to get promoted from here uh, and it's a, it's a very difficult conversation, but if you keep doing it, then you'll get used to doing it. It's not difficult anymore. Uh, and then they'll say yes or no. And then you say, okay, if, if it's not right now, what is it I need to do for quarter three, quarter four to get there on Q1 next year? So you do this, do that. I'm like, okay, sweet. 
you know, we reevaluate three months later, you'll see pretty quickly, did you do it or not? Uh, and then you say that accountability. Um, so that's probably the small details that that factor into to the bigger picture, you know, and then I suppose you can extrapolate a bit more. But as you, you know, extend the time horizon, it gets a bit more difficult to have any sort of uh, detail, I suppose. I think that was a very useful example because it's an area that we probably all don't do very well. Yes, we sometimes have monthly one-to-ones or quarterly reviews with our managers, but some of the things within that process where we actually understand what are the boxes we need to tick along the way. One of my favorite things that you said there, Darren, is the fact that you have the difficult conversation with your manager to say, if I do X, Y, and Z within this time frame, what does that mean for me? Does it mean promotion? Does it mean a salary increase? Does it mean a bonus? Whatever that is. And I actually had a bit of a funny conversation uh, the, the other evening about um, like pay differentials within um, within the same roles because there's always a bracket within a role. Let's say, for example, it's 30K to 35K. And almost always to get to the top of that bracket, you need to be a little bit disagreeable or a little bit confrontational and have some, you could say, balls and ask the hard question. That's interesting. You say that the um, the bracket is between 30 to 35 what do I need to do to, to be at the 35 end of that? Or I would expect to be at the 35 end of that because X, Y, and Z and present your case. Whereas some people just would never argue their case and just accept that. So you quite often see people doing the same job, relatively similar standard of performer. And there's a there's a difference between their salary and you're like, wow, it's actually just down to negotiation or being willing to have the difficult question. 100%, man, absolutely. And the, and the reason why, it's, why I was laughing at that as well is because those bands are, are bollocks in the day, right? So they're all just like artificial bands, right? How this is defined and how you get around all conversations. And this is why I love the concept of sales. I love negotiations. I love difficult conversations, right? The reason why is because the simple thing you can do here and for the best advice I could probably ever give someone is if you're going into these conversations, you always ask two questions. What's the benchmark in the company? So what is the benchmark? They'll either say, no, we can't give you a, a benchmark because it's private or they'll give you a range. And then if they give you a range, your next question then is, what is the benchmark in the industry? So at that point, you can go on to, you can, they can tell you or they cannot tell you. If they don't tell you, you can go on to Glassdoor. You can find the benchmark in the company because it's the publicly information available that's there. You can find the benchmark and you say, well, this is the benchmark I was, I've seen. Okay. And you can also find the benchmark within the industry. You can use uh, Glassdoor or uh, LinkedIn jobs as well. And you can find a salary benchmark. You find the two points and you want to be a me- uh, the midpoint between the two. It's very simple because at that point, you're within the bracket of your company. You're within the back bracket of an industry. And if not, then, well, then maybe you should be somewhere else. And that's genuinely like my calculation for it. It's very, very simple. Uh, it's very clear. It shows that, you know, and again, what it is, is I remember even recently, uh, uh, someone said to me before is like when you have these difficult conversations and when you can hold out holding out is, is is incredibly powerful because it shows that you actually have that that guts because i think people they, they come into it with such a, like a yes a yes man approach like yes 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 i'll take this whatever but you have to realize that often like especially when you're going to a new company like a new company that's like it's not necessarily your friend you know what i mean it's like a hr person you're talking to you're trying to get the best deal for yourself and that's what so sales is about that's what everything's about at the end of the day um and you need to use those basic rules you know, um, and then hold out because as you said, as you said, man, people like, well, they won't push hard enough. Uh, and that's often the, the challenge and you should just challenge things in general, just in general, you should, you should just have that bit of awareness because no one's going to take a ta- an offer, offer off the table for you, um, trying to get the best deal for yourself. Yeah, ex- exactly that. And I think it's harder 
when you first leave university or first leave the education system and are applying for jobs because you are you are one of many yep. and you won't have any differential factors but once you've had your first job in this space you can be a lot more abundant in your mindset and any move that i've made post that time i've gone into interviews with a confidence that i am somebody that would add significant value to them therefore they need to meet my expectations and be able to satisfy my demands within it within within reason of course i'm not going to go in and ask for a, an 80 an 80 percent salary rise unless of course i go into i'm going into an industry that enables me to make enough money for the company that would justify that all that kind of thing goes on inside your head but coming into an interview and a discussion with an abundance mindset and that we're both of an equal value here and we need to meet somewhere that enables us both to have like a win-win is is tremendous and i really like the research you can do behind the scenes with glassdoor and linkedin jobs that you've alluded to one of my questions that I am desperate to ask you, Darren, is around what is maybe like one standout lesson that you've learned from the the over 80 interviews that you've done so far now on kickoff sessions? It's a great question. That's as well as all your questions. It's like it's like picking your favorite child, but just try and, <laughs> try and pick one. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that from all the people I interviewed, from founders and CEOs, is that they're all super ordinary people who just took small actions. They didn't take like leap of faith. They didn't put like the collateral of their house down on, on things. They just saw miniature opportunities and just took chances. I think that's the biggest thing is that they saw something they wanted and took a step forward. I, you know, how many great ideas do you hear? Right. And they're all great ideas and no one does fuck all on execution. What I found with everybody is no matter if it's an ultramarathon runner, one of the guys, Shane Finn, that ran across the United States, or guys that have sold three or four companies, or guys that are raising 500 million in capital, is that often they just took the first step, created a slide deck, created a pitch, uh, started to learn a bit of code, started to put together an e-commerce store, and followed down that, which, which was crazy. Um, because, again, I go back to the original thesis, you know, one thing for me is that I don't want to be that entrepreneur, which is why I've been pushing really hard on the stuff on the side because I want to check, can I do it? Am I fucking good at it? Um, and it's because it's just taking that first step. Nowhere near there at the moment, but I know the guys that um, have I've recorded with are all in that different area. And as a result, they've reaped reward from it. There's lots of success, lots of failure. Majority probability will say you probably failed or you're going to fail. But the idea of upside reward is, is so much more appealing to me than downside risk. I just like don't, I'm not necessarily, I never really fixate on, on a downside. I like to always think of the upside reward, um, even if your probability is even, even slim for survival at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to die wondering, you want to take action and explore the possibility, which I think is a, a great lesson to take. The last thing that I want to go with you, Darren, is something that you've been speaking openly about on your your YouTube channel in, in, uh, in, in recent weeks and months. And it was actually the, the kind of, it was related to something I had to talk about quite openly when one of the first sponsors for, for this podcast um, came forward. But it's to do with with hair loss and you've talked about some of the things you've done to combat it and your own journey with actually restoring some of your hair as well. What have you learned from this experience and when did you first notice hair loss at quite a young age? It's crazy, man. Um, again, going back to the original point of like everyone being in the same scenario, you know, I was really young at the time, so I think I was around 16, 17, and even in my recent videos. So basically, I'm I guess at the moment, I'm just kind of like trying new shit. I'm just recording different videos on, on hair loss, uh, but there's a bit more substance to it than that. 
Uh, for me, I started like losing my hair when I was like 16, 17. Um, and it could be a combination of diet. It could be a combination of an operation that I had when I was younger. I had a, a DVTs or deep vein thrombosis uh, on my knee, which is a blood clot. And I was on like blood thinners and it could lead to, to extreme hair loss. So I ended up kind of getting like a patchy kind of front. And then as I was getting a little bit older, it was getting progressively worse. And I remember, you know, at the time I was like single. So you're running the bits usually on like Tinder, you're doing the normal stuff. I remember just like it was getting more and more self-conscious. So even from like 20, 21, 22. And I remember just like always noticing it, like whether it was like, you know, fucking in the elevator, in work, the more work I was doing on it then. And I was getting kind of progressively, progressively worse, uh, which which was which was obviously not, not like a good thing to come into. But what when it got really bad then was the fact that I think I was under awareness that I was going to get a hair transplant and I really wanted to do it. And then I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, like 23 roughly. But then I kind of heard as well, and I was recommended by some really good clinics. So it's not like I'm making this shit up, but it was like proper clinics were recommending that you wait till the most of the recession happens by the time you're 30, 31, 32. And at that point, I always felt that like, look, you know, what am I meant to do from 22 to 30? Am I meant to just fucking go to Ballville and just live and just be not that, you know, not happy, not confident? So I was trying to find like different ways around it. But I think very from the, from the very beginning, it was just kind of about a kind of probably genetic orientated at first. And then it was obviously exasperated, taking the piss with like, oh, like poor diet, out, shit products, not well management of it. And it was getting aggressively, aggressively worse. Uh, and it's not, a, it's not a good idea, man. So that's why, you know, I changed the, the approach. So basically how, how I kind of came about this is you might know more plates, more dates. Um, one of my mates, Tom Greco, he recommended me the channel like years ago, maybe like three years ago. Uh, and his hair was fucked. His hair was so bad. It was, it was way different style than my hair. Like if you're not, if you're listening on audio, like my hair is kind of like curly, similar enough to yours, actually kind of similar, like kind of like style. Um, so his was slightly different, but I remember his was so bad that the recovery was crazy. So that was my initial touch point. It wasn't like I like looked at him and just did exactly that. But he was recommending, you know, uh, ketoconazole, which is in Regenapure and, and Nizerol. So basically, that's a, a shampoo. Um, and then he was recommending finasteride, and he was recommending uh, minoxidil, the big tree. And I remember like thinking, like, okay, there's opportunity. There's there's, there's definitely something I can do, which is really good, at least, because that gave me kind of that hope. Just fucked it's around with the before the transplant as well, because like you said, there was this window where you clearly as like I, i've got friends that have shaved their heads and they're very comfortable board. they're very they're very happy with it they they seem to suit it and it makes them happier but i experienced recession as well and i wasn't happy with that so it's very interesting when you identify that's the case but then you have this period between when would be the optimal time for me to have a hair transplant to have a very good result and when would i have to wait all this time in a in a hair in a state with my hair that i wasn't happy with my confidence would decrease it's nice that you've got, like you say, you named the big three there that are sort of the carrots that can maybe keep you going up to a point or even make you happy enough that you might not even need to hair transplant in the future beyond that as well, which is a very interesting concept. Exactly, man. Exactly. So like when I started off, with like, the, so the shampoo first is definitely like entry level and it was, it was, it was great. And it was fantastic. It gave me that kind of confidence, improved like texture, small things like this. But to your point about like when you know that like you have options for me, it was crazy because when I spoke a lot of clinics, could be in Turkey, could be in Ireland, could be in the UK. I looked at the place that Mike Thurston went to as well, and I was like 25k or whatever. They recommend to you to go on finasteride, and they're like nearly, you know, it's 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 in their um, post fucking operation like uh, treatment. Like they tell you to go on it, 
So because you have to go on it then, I was like, okay, well, why don't I just go on it now? That was my that was the last point for me before I went on it. It was like, well, if I have to go on it then, why don't I go on it now? And obviously, there's side effects, there's potential side effects. It's not like you you get side effects. So yeah, well, we talk know. a little bit about finasteride, Dan, because I've been using it since I'm twenty, since I was twenty one, and I'm twenty nine. Um, Holy shit! No way. So yeah, I, I, I identified very early that if I wanted to maintain the hair that I had and improve some of the thickness of what was there. Um, and after some initial recession between like 17 and 21, I needed to take action. But there are some potential significant side effects with finasteride. When you were looking into it, were there any that stood out to you? 100%. And I, this is something I, I'm thinking of recording a video on as well. Uh, I want to go, go go very deep on it. So just that even at a high level. So obviously finasteride, because it's like fucking with your test levels slightly. Well, it's not necessarily your test levels. It's kind of more um your dht so that your ability to lose hair that doesn't come with a, a crystal clear bullet now everything is situational based but it's usually like between one uh one percent of people might get side effects so the big one obviously is you could get really bad erectile dysfunction whereby it could start from like your piss it could come from anything else like getting an erection getting it up doing anything like that which is like, the first thing then what else was there there was like uh depression as well was a big one that you could potentially get um there was like obviously shrinking of testicles, all things like this. They were kind of the big, biggest things. I remember seeing as well people had weight gain and, and whatnot, but it's usually yeah. just to do. All, all guys that I told take it, they're like, I can't believe you got so jacked taking finasteride because it stops yeah. making any gains. And I was like, well, it can. And it can, because it, it's blocking DHT, it can mess with your ability to build muscle through your own testosterone. But it's touch wood. I haven't seen the, the side effects of it but i have had friends who have used it and had to come off because like you say basically couldn't couldn't couldn't, uh, couldn't function downstairs which is a very important value and maybe more important than some extra follicles on, on on their head it's like a balancing act isn't it of course man and that's why when you go into it initially like you just have to be a little bit cognizant and i was exact same so for me i had no side effects in terms like that but what did happen at the beginning was i just started like actually pissing a shitload more it was so interesting for like the first like month it just like just a change in like body whatever i just started like i was going to the bathroom maybe like once once like an hour or whatever once every like two hours and then You've that kind of lean for your bodybuilding cup it's exactly like that isn't it because it's exactly you, like that it goes through you you wake up during the night you have to pee because <laughs> it just exactly and that, that that's why it was kind of crazy at first because then that's when you know i was more kind of cognizant of what i get more side effects but that was the first that was the only one that i was kind of like okay well now i should like reconsider it and then after about a week it kind of went away it weighed it off and then i was plain sailing from there and now it's been like over like a year or whatever been completely plain sailing but at that point at first you need to examine it because they do say it has a half life so it takes like another like 30 days or whatever to come out of your system so at that point you just need to need to weigh it up and there isn't enough data to share to show that like if you were to come off it does it have like any long-term effects now again like take out a pinch of salt obviously it doesn't mean that there is long-term effects but there's not the research behind it so there's that aspect of it and then there's also the aspect of if you do want to have children which i actually don't want to do which is actually pretty pretty funny but basically if you do want to have children you can't be on it so funny enough i was speaking to someone who's like 30 32 uh and now he can't get a hair transplant because they're making him go on finasteride and he wants to have a kid in the next couple of years and another side effect as well not side effect but the reason why you got to be so like aware of it is that women can't touch finasteride they're not allowed to touch it that's how strong it is so even my girlfriend like i have a like bedside locker i take before i go to bed uh 
she like she can't go near it. It's in like a it's in like a glass like uh, seal. So again, but it's the same. It's the same with with anything. Like there is going to be those side effects, and like you know, you go a step further to dutasteride, which I haven't gone near towards at all. But dutasteride is like finasteride on steroids. Genuinely, you know what I mean? It's like that extra because I think finasteride protects up to like seventy percent approximately, whereas dutasteride is a hundred. It's like it blocks complete conversion of tests. So at that point, then. It doesn't say that you're going to get the side effects, but it incre- increases the chances of it, you know, by a percentile or, or whatever at that point. So it's a balancing act. And what's one, one last thing I say on this is the fact that you made a great point about like, oh, like, you know, is it worth going on if you if you can't get a boner anymore and now you can't uh, like get with people? It's like conversely, before you even think about that, you got to look at the other aspect is like, is it worth you being so like self-conscious about your hair that you don't want to go on it for the fear of it might being a side effect. And that's exactly where I was at. It was like, you know, I'm so worried about it. Why don't I just try it? And then if I, I can come off it, you know? So there's, there's two sides to it. And then luckily, you know, that doesn't mean any uh, drastic things. But what I would say is that if uh, if there is, I'd cut it straight away and just go back off then. Yeah. But in terms of the actual positive results, it blocks 70% of um, the kind of conversion to THT. How is it? manifested itself in terms of how your hair looks i think it's been great it's made a huge ground like obviously let, let us up to the to the the youtube gods to, to tell me otherwise but um again it's not 100 percent. i'm not back to norwood zero which is like your hollywood hairstyle but a year into it uh between the six and 12 month mark made a huge difference like so loads of regrowth here loads of regrowth on this side uh it's made a massive difference especially on the back as well on the scalp so it made a huge difference there. And now at month 12, usually if the research papers is from 12 to 24 months is actually the most benefit. Um, so I'm looking to kind of to, to, ta- to tailor that up. Um, and then I'm kind of thinking of adding in new things as well, like a biotin. Well, I actually wasn't on biotin, but I'm just going to hop on it pretty soon, uh, which is only like a small supplement. And I'm also considering microneedling just out of an experiment. I might just like run like a fucking three month period of just see what happens with microneedling. I don't know. I don't know where to get it though. Um, and I've been looking around, but that's what I'm thinking of next. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And when I shared that I was working with Sons for a period, I think they sponsored six podcast episodes, and they're also getting a shout out here. Um, it was who I was using from my finasteride anyway. But the number of guys that messaged me on Instagram been like, listen to your your podcast advert, didn't realize you were talking about hair loss, didn't think you had that bad recession. I was like, well, it receded quite badly when I was at 17 to 21. It's kind of not moved, really moved much since. Occasionally, it like thins a little bit around there. And, and I notice it because I'm doing it all the time. And I'm filming myself all the time on Instagram stories. So sometimes you're conscious of it. But I took preventative action very, very early. And more of us guys speaking about it, because it can be quite hush-hush. YouTube's a great resource now. But when I took it at 21, that was eight years ago. There was hardly anything out there. I was on forums like reading. And I was like, this stuff sounds lethal. But like you, <laughs> but like you, I've spoken to clinics about yeah. like what would I need to do if I want to get a hair transplant. Again, the advice was push back as far as possible because mm-hmm. we might put down like let's say a thousand grafts in a FUE uh, transplant, yeah. and the recession would then be behind that again. So mm-hmm. you would lose the result that you had. And I'd seen loads of like botched hair transplants or like footballers that had got it done and they were wearing tons of like topic in their hair. So when it rained on the pitch, like you could see, like actually, you really don't have very much hair now. It's actually just like a very 
small line that they've added further down your head, but it's not really like responded um, yeah. in terms of thickness, or they've had like further recession behind it. So it's a total minefield, but the more of us that speak about it, the the better. But one of the things that interested me about your videos and an area that I'd love you to share is some of the things that you stopped doing rather than the things that you now do. So for example, you've added finasteride, you're considering microneedling, but what did you remove which has helped with your result? Great, great question. Um, I was looking a lot into this and even since I recorded the first video, which is on pretty well, uh, I've actually learned that one of them actually didn't actually affect it. So one thing I did at the very beginning was, um, so the biggest thing I'm trying to even put, even put in order. So a lot of it was like hot heat exposure. So I used to like use a lot, a lot of heat, um, use a lot of, you know, shampoo that are obviously kind of like shit, but using like a, like hot water, which would really degrade it. It usually makes it more brittle. Then the same with um, drying, use a lot of hair dryers, which was which was crazy, because um, I'd be rushing into work, and then I was using that. It was more making it more frail, and then again it was a lot of hairspray. I was just using hairspray at the time because it was just quick and easy. It would last all day, and then I learned that then hairspray doesn't directly relate to you just like losing it, but what it does do is that it makes it more brittle and more frail, it makes it more like fragile, and then I was just really, really, really thinning it. Um, and then, so I think those are the biggest things just from like a day-to-day -day perspective, but I do think that when I started competing, my hair got worse because I was, I was in a deficit for so long. My deficit man was like down to like 1800 calories for so long, um, that I was just lacking all nutrients. I remember going to the doctor, man, and he, man, the doctor telling me that I was fucked. He was like, you were literally like two weeks away from just like sudden death syndrome. Genuinely. He was like, that's how low, like you're your your body has gotten in terms of vitamins and vitamins and check my blood levels and stuff like this so i think that dieting phase or a series of dieting phases has has affected it because i think those changes i would make in my body at that stage were much more drastic you know i'd go from like 80 kilos to 72 kilos back to 84 kilos back to 70 kilos it was a bit crazy your body um, doesn't like that and exactly reflects, and it reflects in the health of all your extremities as well like your hair and your nails your nails and everything man and i remember i remember i didn't cut my nails for eight weeks funny you mentioned that um and the last thing then i think was just general diet so like um you know I was out a lot during university i was smoking fucking every menthol i could find during university i think that definitely had an effect um so things basic things like this and then as i got older just a bit more like better sleep better diet uh less drinking um less exposure to my head and th those are basic things that we could all do you know uh so i think that's the biggest thing that i'm working on at the moment and i'm going to do more videos as well on Know, potential common myths because people go on about hot hair and stuff which i've learned is actually not actually a, a thing at all so i want to get into some of those details because like even for me like i'm still learning and i'm doing them to do this to learn as well as providing it to other people hopefully yeah yeah and I, I i say this on so many podcasts but one of the best ways for you and i to learn the lessons that we want to learn is by teaching on to others distilling down what we've learned and seeing it out into the into the world and it helps us to reinforce the lesson and just quickly on the hat hair thing i used to believe that so strongly because when you see the golfers take their hats off at the end of rounds and shake hands mm -hmm. so many of them have gone bald but there is a massive link between that of course but also the high stress that they face and dhd and stress have some really um like close uh, correlation in terms of production and i've noticed during periods of high stress that's when i've maybe seen hair come out in the shower versus when I'm a bit more level, mm. it's it, it's it's less likely to happen. So that I'd, I'd I'd love to see some of your some of your videos cover things like stress and its relation. To, to I actually have it in, I have it in the last video as well around stress. Um, basically, like the effect of it. So it's just super briefly. Like so, usually 
the effect of stress is it's telogen effluvium is, is the effect of it and basically that's your uh, ability to lose hair but the, that hair could potentially grow back that's kind of like generally the concept around stress but the more intense the level of stress let's say like god forbid like someone's like a like partner died or whatever going through extreme levels of stress will have a prolonged effect so it's not until like three months later you'd have an extreme shedding phase because that element of, of stress and the hair loss is not actually being accounted for in the short term okay so that's extreme levels but what i would say is that we are at a moderate level that's consistent so as a result like you saying going into the shower you having a stressful job will just slowly chip away at your hair going ongoing ongoing unless you can actively add in other ingredients and that isn't the same it doesn't equate but it's like a longer term effect um and again obviously the person with extreme stress and going through a, tra a traumatizing event they'll obviously be have a knock-on effect that's longer um but yeah that's some of the basic information that i'm kind of pulling out at the moment which is which is pretty extreme as it is yeah i'm i'm loving it darren i'm looking forward to seeing more and more of it so let's let's wrap this one up we've covered so so much and it's been an absolute pleasure but if people want to continue the conversation with you where should they head towards Absolutely. So uh, check me out on YouTube or Spotify, Apple. So um, kickoff sessions on Apple and, and Spotify. YouTube is Darren Lee, mainly on LinkedIn. So I post every day on LinkedIn for over a year. Just do all career stuff, all entrepreneurship stuff there. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Yeah, super. About those will be linked in the show notes below. And I'm sure the guys that wherever they're listening to this, they can pop across and check out kickoff sessions. It's become strongly recommended for me. Thanks very much for listening, guys. And I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon. Legend, man.